You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For May 15th, 2019, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nolder. It's one thing to set goals to transition to an energy system based on 100% renewables. Many cities, states, and countries have done that. But it's quite another to actually figure out how such a system could provide reliable supply at all hours of the year, in all places, including just how much storage and transmission might be needed to support it, and even more importantly, how we can get from here to there, step by step, as fossil fuel plants are retired and replaced by renewable generators. In recent years, various researchers have created models showing what a future clean grid might look like. For example, modeling a grid for a country in which renewables sit alongside storage, nuclear power, and even coal power plants equipped with CCS. But to my knowledge, we have not yet seen comprehensive models for large international regions and for the world that show how we can run everything on renewables alone while accurately modeling the weather and grid conditions at a very discrete scale, right down to hourly resolution, using data on the renewable resources in each region and determining how that would work while selecting the least cost resources. Until now. Today we're going to talk with Dmitry Bogdanov, a researcher and doctoral student at LUT, the La Prinranta University of Technology in Finland. For the past five years, he has been part of an international research team that has been developing a set of regional models under the tutelage of Professor Christian Breyer. This research describes how to get to a global 100% renewable electricity system by 2050, providing energy not just for electricity, but for space heating and transportation and desalination as well, including the steps required to enable a realistic transition to that system while avoiding societal disruption. Their models show that a renewably powered electricity system can be built in all regions of the world in an economically feasible manner, and exactly what kinds of steady but evolutionary changes will be needed over the next 35 years to get there. And their latest report, which was just published a month ago, rolls up all of the previous models into one big global model, which I think is the most exciting global model of how to do energy transition published to date. This is all really interesting research, and I'm thrilled to have Dimitri on the show to explain how they did this modeling and what the results show. Then in the news segment, we'll talk about a very cool new solar plant that has been built on the site of a former coal plant in Canada. We'll note another exciting transmission line project that's moving ahead in the U.S. And we'll review a whole series of astonishingly bold moves in the U.S. by coal companies and their lobbyists designed to halt the advance of renewables, preserve the failing coal industry, and foist billions of dollars in unnecessary costs on taxpayers and ratepayers, complete with corrupt regulators and legislators. Whee! And now our conversation with Dmitry Bogdanov, recorded April 9th, 2019. So let's bring him into the conversation now. Welcome, Dmitry, to the Energy Transition Show. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. 
So today we're going to talk about a new study that you and your colleagues have published, which shows how a carbon-neutral electricity system can be built in all regions of the world in an economically feasible manner. But before we get into the details of that, I just want to note what an ambitious idea this is, given that you have to model all the various extremely diverse areas of the world and collect a lot of data on each one. So I guess the first thing I'd like to know is how this research project came into existence and how your project team, comprising research from Finland and Brazil managed to pull this off. Yes, it's a great topic for us and transition towards carbon neutral energy system was the aim of my research since the beginning of doctoral studies in LUT. But the idea of this study and understanding how this can be even managed appeared only four years ago in discussion with my professor, Christian Breyer. Since then, our group went through a long process of methodology and model development, and most importantly, data collection for various regions. I would say that we are still in the process. World is changing very fast. Technologies are in development and costs are falling quite fast in some cases. And we have to update our model and our assumptions constantly to be on the level and our team comprises researchers from different countries with different backgrounds. And it's a real treasure because their experience and expertise help us to better understand the world and different parts of the world where they came from. And of course, the vision of Professor Breyer made this all happen because he collected all us and basically showed us the way how to move towards this ambitious aim. And I cannot name any milestones. It's more like constant work and development, aiming better understanding of the transition process. And we are working now region by region, adding more and more sectors. And finally, we want to be able to model the whole world and better understand how the whole world, the whole economy, can be transformed towards 100 renewables, or at least carbon neutrality. And that would be for all energy, not just electricity, the ultimate goal. Yes, finally, finally, it should be all the sectors included, because if we want to go for carbon neutrality, all the carbon emissions should be cut. Right. Even in such difficult sectors as agriculture, land use, everywhere. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the model. How is it structured and how did you even get the data needed to model the electricity system of all these countries? Now we develop our own LUT energy system transition model. This is a linear optimization model and we operate this in full hourly resolution because just annual energy balance cannot properly represent the 100% or nearly 100% renewable energy systems. Even with time slices, there is a chance to miss some days, some hours, and then underestimate some technologies or underestimate demand in storage or transmission capacities. And the structure is also very important and regional Assumptions is the key for this kind of studies. Regional structure must be detailed enough to catch the most important regional features, but 
it still should be manageable to collect this data and run the model and analyze all these results. So we decided to divide the world into nine major regions, namely Europe, Eurasia, Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia, SARC, which includes Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal and Bhutan, as well as MENA, Sub-Saharan Africa, and obviously North America and South America regions. Okay. In total, the whole world is divided in 145 regions. And we decided to study major regions one by one, collect the data and get experience and then later on use this experience data and our understanding of these regions to simulate the global transition towards renewables and during this time all this data was collected from various sources we combined several databases to get proper understanding of existing fleet of power plants we use solar and wind data from NASA and energy demand projections from IA, together with technical and financial assumptions for technologies we took from various technical reports, scientific reports, papers. The same methodology is used for all our studies for all regions in the world. And these assumptions and the way the methodology is described in the papers together with all these references. And it was a very long process to collect all the data for all the regions we need and we constantly have to improve and check and update these assumptions. The first region was Northeast Asia. So we have chosen this region because it's a region with huge and fast-growing energy demand, power demand, and this region already represents around one quarter of the world population. Hmm. And for us, it, at the first steps, it was important to see if local renewable resources will be even sufficient to satisfy this huge demand in China, Japan, Korea, and if it will be possible to cover the demand in densely populated countries like Japan or Korea, and will we need strong cooperation between these countries of this region, or they can cover their energy demand on their own. And in Northeast Asia, we saw that it's actually manageable that with only existing technologies, it's possible to build such the system which can satisfy the huge energy demand with only use of renewable energy generation, storage technologies, and available transmission technologies. Interesting. Wow. So this study, like all the studies we're going to discuss today, I think, was it was at least cost optimization model, yes? Yes, Okay. it's the least cost for the system. So it's the full optimization. We don't specify what should be the generation capacities, what should be the mix, what should be the power plants, fleet. System is completely free to choose the optimal structure and dispatch of this system. Right, okay, so it's a technology agnostic, least cost optimization, and it takes into account the known renewable resources of each sub-region in Northeast Asia, 
And then I believe you used high-resolution weather data, so it would accurately model the renewable generation potential of the whole region. Is that right? Yeah. We have the wind and solar irradiation data at quite high special resolution. We would like to have it better, but now it's 0.45 by 0.45 degree, which corresponds to about 50 by 50 kilometers boxes around equator and slightly smaller areas boxes at higher latitudes. Okay. Based on that data, we calculate capacity factors for wind and PV power plants. And we assume that most of the capacities should be installed in the locations with the highest renewable energy potential, right? And we assume that 60% of these capacities will be installed in 20% of best nodes in order to calculate weighted average capacity factor profiles for each of the regions, like East China or South China. And we considered that already on this regional structure configuration stage, where we tried to keep regions area comparable and small enough to avoid so-called Cooper plate effects, when capacity factors profiles for renewables can become too much averaged. And due to that fact, we can underestimate storage demand, transmission demand, etc. Right. But it's very important to keep realistic assumptions for capacity factors profiles if we talk about renewable energy systems. For other kinds of other renewable energy technologies like biomass, potential, and hydro, it was a bit simpler because data on economical sustainable biomass potential is available for most of the countries. Same as flow of the major regions is available based on that data. We can simulate and calculate averaged capacity factors profiles for runoff river power plants and for hydro dams, how the dams are filled, how can they be discharged to produce electricity. The open question is acceptance of renewables, because in different countries, people can have different view on land use for wind turbines, for PV. In our study, we assumed that up to 4% of regional area can be used for wind turbines installation, for wind farms, and up to 6% can be used for PV installations. Of course, we never see that these limits are reached in the world. But in reality, we understand, I understand that in some regions, social acceptance can be much lower. But we wanted to keep the same assumption for the whole world to keep it comparable. Right. So you feel like those assumptions about the percentage of land use that's available for wind and solar are realistic assumptions? I think so. Okay. All right. So you found that for the Northeast Asia region, the total system cost for a 100% renewable electricity system was 69.4 euros per megawatt hour or about 7.8 cents US per kilowatt hour. That's really affordable and on par with a lot of existing fossil fuel generation, I think. The model also assumed some high voltage direct current transmission between those countries. And what I found particularly interesting about this is that it also calculated how to meet industrial gas demand. So how did you do that? 
So yes, this cost assumption, this levelized cost of electricity was a result of this study, but this region was modeled four years ago and many assumptions were updated since then and okay so costs will have fallen since then yeah yeah i believe that this current assumptions we have it would be much lower because pv and wind turbines and most importantly batteries costs are expected to decrease faster when we fought in 2015. okay and for this region we also saw that high voltage dc can be very important and many regions can see significant benefits of interregional integration. It will be most important for South Korea and Japan, as I already said, the countries with very high population density and energy demand density, if we can call it like this. Mm-hmm. And for these countries, high voltage DC will enable access to very cheap and very high renewable resources of such regions as Tibet in China or Inner Mongolia also in China. And that can save a lot of money for them if they go for this option. In the same time, high voltage DC can play another role. It can provide important flexibility for the grid and we see it's currently in China where they build high capacities of high voltage DC interconnections between regions together with investments in renewable energy namely in PV and wind and about fossil gas we decided to add it into this study because currently fossil gas is the important raw material for chemical industry and China is now one of the biggest chemical products producers in the world. And all we understand that even non-energetic use of fossil gas will violate sustainable development goals and Paris Agreement. So we need to find a solution how to get rid of this fossil gas consumption. And synthetic methane can be produced from CO2 and hydrogen. And this methanation technology is quite old. It's known for more than 50 years. Currently, several plants which produce synthetic methane already exist. And they produce chemically clean methane from using electricity, water, and CO2. So here we wanted to see, again, if renewable energy resources of the regions, of Northeast Asian regions, will be sufficient to produce this huge amount of, of synthetic natural gas, synthetic methane. And we saw that it's possible. And then we were interested how much it will cost to use the synthetic natural gas instead of fossil gas. We saw that it will be more expensive, but that's the price we have to pay to run carbon neutral economy. In the same time, we understand that using synthetic gas for chemical industry is not the optimal solution. Chemistry based on hydrogen and CO2 will be more efficient and the final products will be much cheaper in the very end. Interesting. But yeah, even if we don't use gas for 
for chemistry, it still can be a very important solution for, for the regions with high seasonability of energy demands and energy production from renewables. Because power to gas, production of synthetic natural gas, can provide seasonal storage. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all of the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be, so if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. There are several ways to become a subscriber. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year or $5 a month. Monthly subscriptions are just $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer half-priced annual subscriptions for universities. Students can purchase individual subscriptions, or professors can purchase bulk subscriptions for their classes. Numerous educators now use the Energy Transition Show as coursework, and their testimonials are available on request. And finally, we offer site licenses with group discounts on annual subscriptions for all members of institutions, such as corporations, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. What was once the largest coal-fired power plant in North America has been converted to a solar farm. The Nanticoke Generating Station was a 4-gigawatt plant in Nanticoke, Ontario, about 70 miles west of Buffalo, New York. From the time it was built in 1972 until 2013 when it ceased operations, it was the largest coal-fired power plant in North America. The smokestacks were demolished a year ago, and the powerhouse will be demolished in September of this year. The plant, which used to consume 35,000 tons of coal per day, was shut down as part of the Government of Ontario's commitment to eliminate coal power. Now the site hosts a 44-megawatt solar farm with PV panels spread across 260 acres, which was spearheaded and paid for by Ontario Power Generation and two organizations of Indigenous peoples, the Six Nations of Grand River Development Corporation and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. It's hard to imagine a more perfect example of energy transition than that. Item 2. Well, this is shaping up to be a good year for transmission projects in the U.S. In mid-April, the Maine Public Utilities Commission granted a Certificate of Public Convenience and Necessity for Avangrid's New England Clean Energy Connect, a 320-kilovolt, 145-mile-long transmission line that will bring 1.2 gigawatts of hydropower from Quebec to Massachusetts. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network.